Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go to Matthew chapter 11, if you will. I mean, it is kind of fitting. The title of our messages right now is Rude Revival. I said Rude Revival. And some of y'all that weren't here last week are like, what in the world? What did I come to this morning? They're, that church is talking about being rude, impolite, not giving a care. Well, what we're talking about is we're talking about ushering in, in these last days, a move of God. And the premise of this is that when revival comes, or when we say revival, I understand it's kind of a churchy term. I understand that it's got surroundings around it and I can say revival and there's probably 50 different images or pictures that float around in this room when I say the word revival. But what we're saying in essence is a move of God. That's what a revival is. A revival is coming out of the ordinary, coming out of the usual, coming out of the familiar, coming out of the mundane. When revival hits, it typically operates with things that break the status quo, break past normalcy. Praise back uh, uh, or, or push away, push back on just how things are always done. That's what I'm really saying. I know it's a churchy term, and, and when I say revival, maybe some of y'all are thinking of full altars. When I say revival, maybe some of y'all are thinking of strong preaching. When I say revival, maybe some of you are thinking signs and wonders and miracles. When I'm saying revival, maybe you're thinking lost souls coming into the kingdom. And I would say, yes, you're all right. All of that is revival. All of those things are taking place, but we've been building on this premise that when revival shows up, it disrupts things. We said this last week that when uh, the only answer for dysfunction is disruption. The only answer for dysfunction is disruption. And when Jesus came on the scene, he came on the scene and didn't milly mouse his way into society. Jesus didn't quietly go about his business. He challenged things. He confronted things. And ultimately, he disrupted things. And he didn't just disrupt the world that was lost and dying and going to hell. He disrupted church. He disrupted religion. He disrupted forms of godliness that were lacking the power thereof. Y'all with me? That's what Jesus came to do. He came to challenge and disrupt because why? We had fallen into a lull of sorts. When Jesus showed up, God had not spoken a word into the earth in over 500 years. It's called the silent years from Malachi to Matthew. God was quiet. God was silent. God wasn't speaking. There weren't any prophets. There weren't any leaders. There weren't any judges. There weren't any godly kings. And, and, and God's people had fallen into this lull where you were either just hell-bent on doing the opposite of what God wanted or you were in some form of religious practice, religious rule, religious formality. And so when Jesus shows up, he comes to confront these two things. He comes to confront darkness, the enemy, Satan himself. And he also comes to conf confront religion. He comes to confront what we thought we were doing in attempts to get closer to God. But we weren't getting any closer at all. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious leaders, they're all getting challenged. And he's messing with their theology, man. He's, he's messing with, with where they think they came from, who they think their father is, what they think their real... He would say things like, you say that when a man, uh, um, you know, uh, sleeps with a, a woman that is not his wife, he's committing adultery. But I come to say, if you even lust after in your heart, in your mind... Wow, he just, he just changed the whole DNA of the thing. He just changed what we thought we were doing. And the only way that you fix dysfunction is with disruption. Well, before Jesus came, and how many of you know Jesus is coming back? Y'all know that Jesus is coming back. It's not a myth. It's not a, it's not a fairy tale. 
It's not a fable. It's not just some idea. One day when Jesus comes to, no, Jesus is returning. And when Jesus came the first time, there was a man that went before him. His name was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a preparer. John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus. And so we saw this last week, that when John the Baptist showed up in Matthew chapter 3, I mean, he confronted some things. John the Baptist was a weird character as it was, was he not? Uh, The Bible says that he was clothed in camel hair and had a leather belt holding all that together. And then he ate uh, wild locusts and honey. And although that might sound weird and, and, and what a radical guy, what, a, what it is is a symbolism of how outside of the world and outside of conformity John the Baptist was. And it goes to show us that if we're really going to prepare the way for Jesus, prepare the way for the king, we're going to have to live in such a way that sets us apart from society. And I'm not talking about changing your diet. I'm not talking about changing your clothing and your appearance. Those are symbols. This is there's significance beyond what we see on the surface and the significance was he did not just engage in what everybody else engaged in. He did not carry on as others carried on. He did not allow and tolerate what others allowed and tolerate. It's a picture of what the church ought to be in these last days. We need the church of the John the Baptist to rise up. We need the church that will desire to be set apart, not blend in. We need the church that will be uh, distinct and distinguished and be called out from among so that we can attract and draw people to the king. There was something attractive about John the Baptist, even though he might have been weird, even though he might have been a bit radical, even though he might have been a bit confrontational in his approach. People were coming to see him, and they were repenting of their sins. They were being baptized in the water by John the baptizer. That's why he's called John the Baptist. John wasn't Baptist. Let's just get that clear. John isn't the beginning of the Baptist denomination. We don't even have denominations until after the Bible's done, until we get in and we mess all this stuff up. Hello. No, John the Baptist pointed people to Jesus who would bring the fire, the Pentecost fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And if you remember this last week, John the Baptist used three distinct things that he said would come. As a result of revival, revival would bring three things. Number one, he said it'll bring an ax. And an ax is gonna be laid to the root. What's that? That's the cutting away or the cutting out of the things that need to be removed. That is a renouncing of sin, a renouncing, a repentance is needed, a repentance is necessary. Repentance is not a bad thing, guys. I think that we've made that like a four-letter word in the church, like anytime a pastor gets on repentance, oh, here they go again. You understand repentance is at the core of Christianity. And repentance isn't boo-hooing and crying at an altar. Repentance is literally changing your thinking. Changing your thinking. So that means abandoning one so I can take hold of another. We, we, We said it this way a few weeks ago, that we have to release what God asks if we want to receive what God has. God has something so amazing for every single one of you. God has a plan, a life, a purpose, a destiny greater than you could ever think or imagine. But it's only found in abandoning one to take hold of the other. And we have a gospel that says come as you are and stay as you are. But that's not the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is come as you are but be changed from what you are and become what I am. Bearing the image of the Son. Well, that, 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 that can't be contaminated. That can't be tarnished by the ways of the world. That, be, can't, that can't be uh, contaminated by what we tolerate and allow. So that ax comes. Then we saw that there was a winnowing fork. The winnowing fork comes and it picks up the grain and the grain falls, but the chaff is blown away. The chaff is what's unnecessary. Remember that verse in Hebrews chapter 12 that says, lay aside every what? Weight and sin. 
So we cut away the sin and we blow away the weight. We've got to do both. And revival will not just call you to lay down sinful things. Revival will call you to lay down things that are accumulating just too much of you, consuming too much of you. And that could be different for everybody. What might be a weight for one might not be a weight for another. But I can tell you this, that there is no growth in the kingdom without cutting away weights. John chapter 15 tells us that the tree that doesn't bear fruit gets cut off. The tree that does bear fruit gets cut on. There's cutting either way. Why? So that it can bear more fruit. Everyone say more fruit. Look at your neighbor and say, you need more fruit. You need more fruit in your life. Come on. We all need more fruit. We all need more love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and godliness. And so- we need more fruit. That only comes by that blowing away of what's unnecessary. There's the cutting off of sin, and then there's the blowing away of the weights that need to be eliminated. And revival brings awareness. It shines a light on these things. Don't don't come to revival if you don't want a light shined on what needs to be dealt with. Revival raises awareness. Revival raises awareness. And then the third thing he said was there would be a fire, a fire of the Holy Spirit. We got an ax, we got a winnowing fork, and then we've got a fire. And the fire would do this. The fire would burn up what was blown away, eliminate it, but it would also purify and strengthen what remained. It burns up what's removed and it purifies what remains. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit. I said we need the fire of the Holy Spirit to do these things, work these things in our lives. These are the three things that John the Baptist showed us that when a move of God comes, these are the things that we can expect. Now, look at Matthew chapter 11. This is some time now. Jesus has begun his part of the ministry. John the Baptist, you can actually look at John chapter three if you just wanna write this down for your own notes. John chapter three is kind of the interval kind of in between what we're about to read in Matthew 11 uh, and the beginning in Matthew chapter 3. In John chapter 3, you'll find an interval where disciples of John or followers of John are now starting to go and follow Jesus. And they're kind of like, whoa, wait a minute, we're losing followers to him. And this is where he says in John chapter 3, I must decrease so that he I just came to prepare the way. This is the thing. Revival is not the way. It is a way to the way. John the Baptist knew this. I'm not the thing. I didn't come to be the Messiah. I'm not the Lord and Savior. I'm not the one going to the cross. But I am a preparer of the way. And if I'm doing my part, he will be exalted. If I'm not doing my part, I will get exalted. This isn't about who's following who now. The whole goal was to get them to that man. That's in John chapter 3. But we're not talking about John chapter 3. We're talking about Matthew chapter 11. And Matthew chapter 11 in verse 1 says, When Jesus finished giving instructions to his 12 disciples, he moved on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John heard in prison, now you, you notice he's in prison. That crazy wacko out in the wilderness, right? The radical guy. Have you ever just stopped and thought about how many godly people were in trouble with the law? You know, I remember, you know, last year when, you know, a lot of things were happening. It's still going on today. And and it seems like, you know, there's always this group of people, uh, you know, when, when things start happening in our nation, things start happening in America, and this might mess up some of y'all, but that's okay. Just stay to the end. Don't don't leave early. Don't. That there's there's always a group of people that refers to those times where Paul was affirming Timothy, pray for your leaders. Romans chapter thirteen, pray pray for. We should lift up prayers. Yes, you absolutely ought to be praying for your leaders. And if you're not praying harder than you were last year, you 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 you're not a part of the solution. 
We need to be praying. But going along with every little thing that comes down, do you remember who wrote Romans 13? Paul. And do you know where he wrote that from? Jail. So if praying for our leaders equates to going along with every little thing they tell us to do, even if it calls us to walk outside of our calling and our purpose, they missed it. I mean, these guys were thrown in prison. These guys, in fact, John the Baptist here is in prison because he called out the ruler of his territory for marrying his brother's wife. Called out unrighteousness. Called out immorality. To the point that they ended up in prison. Paul ended up in prison. John ended up on an island because they couldn't get him killed. So they just finally said, just throw him on an island all by himself. That's where revelation comes from. Peter was hung upside down. Others were boiled in water. I mean, if you're trying to keep peace with the natural laws and try to keep peace with the kingdom of God, one of the two is eventually going to give. I'm not calling you out to just go and rebel and just go absolutely you know, bonkers on society and culture. But as far as we can, we will appease. But there will come a point, and we are reaching it very soon. Because they don't care about your kingdom. They don't care about your God. They don't care about your rules. They don't care about this word. They don't care to honor this. Up is down, and down is up. They want to take everything in here and dismantle it to its core. And some of them even have the audacity to try to put scripture on it. So we got to have some kind of righteous indignation. Got to have a little bit of boldness. Somebody get a spine and a backbone that says the kingdom is the only kingdom I acknowledge. And I will, in my kingdom, it tells me to acknowledge up to this point. Y'all with me? Y'all doing okay? This might be a little heavy after Thanksgiving. I might need to preach a soppy message on Thanksgiving and great gratefulness. I don't go by American holidays and traditions. I'm just letting you know. There's other, there, there's other times and seasons we're in that require me to approach different subjects. And I understand it's Thanksgiving. I understand Christmas is coming up, but we're going to preach the word of God for the time that we are in. Amen? All right, so let's keep going here. I've meddled enough there. When John heard in prison what the Christ was doing, he sent a message to his disciples and asked him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? What an odd question. Now, John the Baptist is in prison. Remember, he came to prepare the way. Remember, John the Baptist came with the axe and the winnowing fork and the promise of the the fire. But the reports and the news that he's getting about this man, Jesus, is kind of conflicting with the message he brought. He's talking about preparing a way, and he's talking about an axe chopping things down and a winnowing fork separating the wheat from the chaff and then a fire coming and consuming what needs to be blown away and strengthening and purifying what remains. But, but he's hearing reports of miracles and wonders and signs and forgiveness. So Jesus responds in verse 4. Jesus replied to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. I think that's interesting. Go and report to John exactly what you hear and see. Now look at Jesus' list. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor are told the good news. Verse 6, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. What an interesting list. John's list was the axe, the fork, and the fire. Jesus' list is blind see, deaf hear, dead live, those that aren't offended are blessed. It, it, it's, it's almost contradictory, right? 
it's, you know, he's having a hard time reconciling here the fact that one of them is coming in a tone of judgment and wrath, and the other's coming in blessing and helping and assuring and giving and lifting up and reaching out to people. So John the Baptist from prison is thinking, wait a minute, what happened to the Acts message? Not the book of Acts, but Acts, the chopping down. Where's the winnowing fork that's separating the wheat from the chaff? Where's the fire that's going to burn up and consume? You see, when we prepare a way, you think about a road. A road has ditches. A road has two sides, if you will. He's preparing the way, and there are two sides. You can put it this way. It's a two-way street. There are two sides to this road. And this is what the church has done for a very long time, is we have found ourselves on either one side or the other. Y'all with me? We have the axe, fork, and fire side, the judgment and wrath side. He's coming to get you side. And then we have Jesus's blind see, deaf hear, signs and wonders, miracles, people being blessed side. And then what we do is we pick a side. We pick a side. We choose sides. But the road, the way is balanced in both. We need a church in these last days that will rise up and be balanced in both. I said balanced in both. You know, he's full of grace and truth. We don't have to be one or the other. Praise and worship. We need both. We need both praising and singing and shouting and worshiping in reference, falling on our face. Honoring who he is. There is the word and the spirit. We need the word of God, but we also need to be led by the spirit of God. And this is the problem, is when we get out of balance in anything, we lose the emphasis of the whole thing. When we put the wrong emphasis in one area or another, then we lose the effectiveness. The effectiveness is in the emphasis. The effectiveness of revival is in us staying balanced in our approach. See, is judgment and wrath true? Absolutely. You can't remove that and extinguish that from the word of God. That's absolutely going to happen. There is going to be a judgment day. There is a wrath of God. We love to talk about the love of God, but there is a wrath of God. In fact, the Bible says that he's holding up wrath. You know what your spouse does when she's holding up wrath. You can only imagine what God will do when he holds up wrath. There will be wrath poured out on what the Bible calls the sons of disobedience. It's not to make you afraid. You're a son of righteousness. What do you got to be fearful of? You're in love with him. You're intimate with him. You're close to him. You're a son of God. You're a child of God. You don't have to fear the wrath, but there is a wrath for those that refuse to accept the way and the path that he's given. But the same God is capable of healing, delivering, everything we just say, just saying, way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. But Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth. We are, revival is simply making a way to the way. Revival is simply making a way to the way. Revival is not the end goal, guys. If we lose sight of what our purpose and our function is and what we are expecting God to do, in the, if we lose sight of what he is doing in these last days, then we'll miss the whole goal that he has for society, and that is the reigning king coming and bringing his kingdom back to earth. Revival is not the end goal. Revival is exciting. 
it, it, it's an awesome opportunity to see souls lost, to see people healed, to see people discover their purpose and their design. Revival can be incredible, but it's not the end goal. Revival ain't got nothing on heaven. Heaven is all-time revival, full-time revival. So we got to understand what he's trying to get us to. Repentance is necessary, yes. But after repentance comes reconciliation, a restoration with the Father, a restoration in the kingdom. And then when you come into the then you get to experience the blessing, the healing, the pouring out, the closeness. The, 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 we, we have to be careful what our motivating factor is. You know, I, this is what I believe. If we start operating in anger and hostility and an attitude of just hatred about everything that's happening, you're playing on the enemy's playing field. You are playing in his territory. You are, you are dabbling in, and I believe you end up right where he wants you not where God wants you. That doesn't mean you don't speak out. That doesn't mean we're not disruptive. That doesn't mean we're non-confrontational. We avoid and, and we succumb to pressure and we give it. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if your motivation is hatred and ill will and malice and hostility and highlighting division, then we are playing on the enemy's plane. We, we are right where he wants us. Of course John wants the axe and the fork in the fire. Of course he wants all that. He's sitting in prison. He's thrown it. I mean, there's, there's no greater way to become hostile and angry with society and with your leaders than when you are mistreated, treated unfairly. Where's his God to avenge him now? I'm putting my, I'm sticking my neck out for you. Literally, <laughs> he got beheaded. He lost his head over this matter. His end, and this is Jesus' cousin. Not even being related to Jesus could put a, put a hold on the tribulation and the trial that he would endure and ultimately the ending that he would be delivered up to. We see this obviously very often in the book of Acts. You know, sometimes we forget that Paul stood by watching as Stephen was stoned to death. I think we forget that. Acts chapter nine. I think we forget that little note. But when revival comes, it comes with both. It'll address and make you aware of what needs to be in alignment, but then it opens you up to the goodness of God. There is a heightened expectation of miracles in revivals. I mean, I've seen revivals and I've seen nights where it's just healing lines and people throwing away crutches and coming out of wheelchairs and, 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 and literally walking in blind, walking out seeing. It's happened. Why? Because there's just such a heightened awareness, not only of the judgment and the wrath of God, but also the goodness and graciousness of God. You know, I've, I've, I've told myself this for a while now, and I know it's a tall task, and I know it's a high responsibility. But, you know, over time, in fact, Jerry Ann just mentioned something in a, in a hallway. She doesn't even know what she just told me. But I, I've been stirring on this for a while, especially in the last hundred years. We've had different moves of God. There was a healing revival in the 40s and 50s. It was what was called a charismatic renewal, a heightened awareness and a, and a, and a reexamining of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in the 60s and the 70s. 
Then there was a value and an emphasis on teaching, word of truth, word of faith. And then there was a value on excellence in ministry and, and, and how we can conduct ourselves to where we are welcoming uh, to, to a group of people and opening our doors and making sure that we're not just becoming uh, uh, saved shut-ins, so to speak. But recognizing there's still a mission and a world to reach. But I believe the move that is coming, she called it streams. I believe the move that is coming is a bringing together of all of those movements and they will happen at one time. Not only that, every single one of those movement, movements had error or what we call excess. It's where we hopped over into a ditch. And usually to get out of one ditch, we hop all the way over to the other ditch. Is honestly what was happening. A movement started because somebody was recognizing we're in error over here, but rather than finding the middle of the road, we ended all the way up over on the other side. But I believe this last day revival that's coming will be balanced in every area. Balanced in the preaching of the word. Balanced in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Balanced in healing signs and wonders. Balanced in opening ourselves up to the lost community and seeing them flood the altars. Balanced in our approach. Balanced in our attitude. Balanced in our speech. Balanced in our belief and in unity and harmony like we've never seen before. I believe that. I really do believe that. I also believe that this last day revival is gonna require all five operating ministry gifts working together in harmony at the same exact time. We're gonna need the prophet, the apostle, the evangelist, the teacher, and the pastor. We're gonna need all five of them in unison working together. No more streams. But I think as we heard it called, the streams come together and become a river. A river that carries a move of God. Not just here, not just in the southeast, but the entire United States of America. That, I'm just giving you a glimpse of what I'm seeing. I'm giving you a glimpse of why I'm so stirred up. I'm giving you a glimpse of what this is going to look like in these last days. But it's going to require an amazing intentionality toward balance. You're going to have to give up your camp. I'm serious. You're going to have to drop the denominational tags. It will not work in revival. Revival doesn't care about Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterian and Pentecostal and Word of Faith, Assemblies of God, Church of God, Church of Christ, whatever. Revival doesn't consider any of that. Revival brings them all into the same room, and they all operate under the unity of the Word of God. Period. That's why I'm talking. It's rude revival. Rude revival. It's amazing the things that revival doesn't consider. It's amazing to just process what revival doesn't care about. I'm reading a book right now. Uh, they, they just covered a bit of the, the, the Pensacola revival, the Brownsville revival there in Florida, in the Panhandle, back in the 90s. Some of y'all in this room, I'm sure being in as close proximity as you are, maybe attended or went or stood in those lines. They, they said that uh, there was a Burger King and a Pizza Hut. And many times they ran out of food before they even got to dinner because people were lining up in line, going, getting food, and then coming and standing in line and eating their lunch before they went into the service. I was in Texas. I was nowhere, nowhere near it, but I heard about it. I saw it. I saw the films. They said, they said most of the time, the services went past 12 o'clock. At night, I mean, y'all are thinking, past 12 o'clock on a Sunday, that's pretty good, that's not too bad. No, at night, midnight, into the next day, some of them ended when the sun was rising. Hello? Some of y'all are like, that won't work with my schedule. Doesn't the Lord know I gotta go to work? Come on now. My kids got to go to school. Oh, we got, we got homework and we got baths. We got mouths. To, uh, Lord, that's not going to work for me. And some will say that. Some will say that. I, I, I do believe that there's just a, a, the enemy, one of the tactics of the enemy is busyness. Just keep you busy. 
just flood you with one thing after another. What would it look like we opened up a calendar? And for the whole week, there was nothing in those little squares. It just revival, and you just stretched a line all across it. What would that look like? Or does that mean we just go to church, we just sit under the glory? No, you're coming here to get something because it has to go from here. It's got to go out there. But we're not spending enough time getting and we're spending all of our time giving and then you wonder why you're bankrupt, bankrupt spiritually. You'd go do that to the bank. Put nothing in but always try to make a demand. They'll laugh at you. Put a dollar in today and go and get a hundred out tomorrow. I dare you. It will not work. But yet we try to do it spiritually all the time. We bankrupt ourselves Monday through Saturday, come in and I'm supposed to put the deposit in your account in an hour and a half if I even have that on a Sunday morning. And we expect that. No, revival says flood the account. Flood the account. Put as much in there so I can make withdrawals as needed and others can make withdrawals and, and people can make withdrawals and my mean boss can make withdrawals and my crazy coworkers can make withdrawals and, and, and the world that I engage in can make withdrawals and the people in Target can make withdrawals. We need people to make withdrawals on our lives, but not if we're deficient, not if we're bankrupt. We're not helping anybody with spiritual bankruptcy. And busyness will keep you bankrupt. Busyness will give you give, 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 give with no get, get, get. Nothing going in. And our lives are spiritually in the red daily. Now we need to get in the word. We need to get filled up. That's what revival is. Again, revival is just raising an awareness. Revival isn't forever. It's not supposed to be forever. It's a time where the church reawakens, not just to the coming of a king, and that we need to realign our lives. Here's the, here's the second part I'm trying to get to. I'm trying to get there, I promise. A reawakening to what's possible. A reawakening to what's possible. See, that's what Jesus was trying to point out. Let me show you what's possible, John. Thank you for setting the stage. Thank you for preparing the way. Thank you for announcing my coming. Thank you for bringing such a bold, confrontational, challenging, disruptive word. Let me take it from here because here's what I'm going to do. The blind will see. The lame will walk. The sick will be healed. The deaf will hear. The dead will be raised. Good news will be preached. And those who choose not to be offended will be blessed. Looks a lot different than the axe and the fork and the fire. So I'm re reawakening to what needs to be realigned in my life. I'm reawakened to what I need to change, what needs to be manipulated, what needs to be aligned to the word of God. But then on the other side of that, I'm reawakened to miracles. Reawaken to impossibilities becoming possible. I, I believe that in the midst of this revival that people will discover purpose like they've never, they, vision will be so clear. They will close their eyes and they will literally see it and move to action. Doors will be open. Favor will go before. I'm talking businesses will be started. I'm talking families will grow. I'm talking schools will be turned around. Cities will be reignited with the kingdom of God. Healings and miracles and signs and wonders will go forth. I believe one of the big things that the Lord is, is bringing, and we've already heard it in our church, is traction. Traction. Tra man, when you live in traction, oh, man, there's no more tiring. There's no more straining. You know where he goes later on down towards the end of this chapter? He says, come to, you, come to me, all you who are weary. John the Baptist is probably thinking, what, what, what are you talking about? Come to me, all you who are weak. Where's the axe? Get the axe out. We're cutting stuff up. We're blowing stuff away. We're setting stuff on fire. The spiritual, spiritual pyrotechnics. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take upon 
take upon you my yoke. My yoke. See, there's two sides to revival. This rude, disruptive, confrontational revival. See, here's the thing. Look at this in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm, I'm going to read it to you from the, uh, let's start with the Amplified. Hebrews 12 verse 25. Hebrews 12 verse 25 in the Amplified. See to it that you do not refuse to listen to him who is speaking to you now. For if those sons of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to him, who warned them on earth. Remember uh, what, what uh, John the Baptist, what happened when John the Baptist was ministering? The Pharisees and Sadducees came and he looked at him and he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you of the coming wrath, of the coming judgment? See, revival offers a warning. Who warned them on earth, revealing God's will. How much less will we escape if we turn our backs on him who warns from heaven? His voice shook the earth at Mount Sinai, but now he has given a promise saying, Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the starry heaven. Now this expression, yet once more, indicates the removal and final transformation of all those things which can be shaken, that is, of, uh, um, of that which has been created so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So that, thing, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Here's the thing. If we don't have the right focus in revival, then we won't be ready for what remains. If we don't have the right focus, the right emphasis in revival, then we won't be ready for what is left over when it's all said and done. In preparing the way, yes, we're preparing the way for a consuming fire. It goes on to say in verse 28, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude. And offer to God pleasing service and acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is indeed a consuming fire. I want to look at this in the Passion Translation real quick. Jump down to verse 26. The earth was rocked at the sound of his voice from the mountain, but now he has promised once and for all, I will not only shake the systems of the world, but also the unseen powers in the heavenly realm. Now this phrase, once and for all, clearly indicates the final removal of things that are shaking. That is this old order. So only what is unshakable will Remain. The message translation reads it this way in verse 26. His voice that time shook the earth to its foundations. This time he's told us this quite plainly. He'll also rock the heavens. One last shaking from top to bottom, stem to stern. Verse 27, the phrase one last shaking means a thorough house cleaning, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. There is a shaking coming. There is a burning coming. There is a fork coming. There is an ax coming. But will we be ready for what remains after? See, if I'm only focused on the ax and the winnowing fork and the consuming fire, then what is remaining, what is left over after the shaking takes place, I won't have a heart to minister to. Remember Jesus, he did signs and wonders. He did these miracles. And then he looked out on the people and he said this. He said, they look like a people lost without a shepherd. That was after the miracles. That was after the signs. That was after the wonders. You think after revival, everybody's just going to be doing A plus? 
No, there's going to be a world that needs to be ministered to. So we need to shake off the religious stuff. We need, to re- we need to shake off the formality. We need to shake off the denominational stuff. We need to shake off our rigid forms and, and ways and patterns and formulas. We need to shake all that off so we can get to a point that we can be yielded and used by him. And show people what's possible. Show people a God that loves them tremendously. Show people a God that wants them healed, wants them restored, wants them delivered, wants them set free, wants them unbound by the things that are holding them back, wants them living at the standard he's called them to live to. Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 11, going back there. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 7. Matthew 11 and verse 7. And I'm going to read this out, actually out of the, the Passion translation here in verse 7. As they were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. This is after the men that came and said, what should we tell John? Well, tell him what you hear and see. The deaf hear, the lame walk, the blind see. They're blessed. As they were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What kind of man did you see when you went out into the wilderness? Did you expect to see a man who would be easily intimidated? Who was he? Did you expect to see a man decked out in the splendid fashion of the day? Those who wear fancy clothes live like kings in palaces. Or did you encounter a true prophet out in the lonely wilderness? Yes, John was a prophet like those of the past, but he is even more than that. He was the fulfillment of this scripture. See, I am sending my prophetic messenger who will go ahead of me and prepare hearts to receive me. For I tell you the truth, throughout history, there has never been a man who surpasses John the baptizer. Yet the least of those who now experience heaven's kingdom will become even greater than he. And watch what he says here in verse 12. From the moment John stepped onto the scene until now, the realm of heaven's kingdom is bursting forth. And a passionate people have taken hold of its power. From the moment John stepped onto the scene until now, the realm of heaven's kingdom is birthing, bursting forth, and passionate people have taken hold of its power. Jesus reiterates that revival is not for the weak. Revival is not for the soft. Revival is not for the ones that just want to go with the flow. Revival will come to disrupt. Revival will come to challenge. Revival comes in boldness. Revival comes to shake what can be shaken so that only what can remain will remain. But revival will come to challenge and disrupt. He reiterates it. He doesn't say, oh, he was wrong. Uh, you know, the, the way of doing things, the bold approach and the disruptive approach and, and challenging, you know, that, that's done. Now we're just gonna softly, you know, carry on our business until, until I come back through glory. He says, no, from the moment he showed up until now, the kingdom suffers violence is the way the New King James reads. The kingdom has suffered violence and the violent will take it. By force. When he says violence, he's not talking about anger and hostility. He's not talking about hatred. He's not talking about war. He's talking about passion. And he's saying this the kingdom of God has been opposed passionately, radically. And he says, now it's time for those of the kingdom to respond in like manner. We will respond radically. 
We will respond in boldness. We will respond challenging the status quo. We will respond just as they have opposed us. We will stand in opposition to them. The kingdom suffers violence, and it will be the violent that will take it by force. Can I please have that? Will will you share that with me now? No. No. There's a taking. There's a taking coming. There's a taking back of territory. There's a taking back of morality. There's a taking back of education. There's taking back of entertainment and arts. There's a taking back of government. There's a taking back that's taking place, that's going to take place in the kingdom of God. And we're not going to come in and calmly ask if we'll be allowed back in the schools, be allowed uh, uh, back, back in government, calmly allow ourselves back into the moral stances and positions that we know the word of God is founded on. We are gonna take it By force. We're going to take it. The kingdom, the kingdom has suffered by, he's saying for, for, for too long we have sat back and the enemy is taken from us. But Jesus says, I'm setting the stage. And from him, from from John the Baptist, John the Baptist came with an approach. John the Baptist came with, with, with a way of setting apart that also was attractive. What must I do? Did you ever notice that how many times in the book of Acts, people came to the apostles, came to the disciples and said, what must I do? When's the last time someone asked you what they must do to get the life you have? That doesn't come because we measle our way through life. That doesn't come because we stay silent and quiet. That doesn't come. No, the Bible says that these men, these men turn the world upside down. And the world's response. See, see, this was a lie of the enemy. That's why I said I call it a doctrine of demons that crept into the church in the last 20 years, that if we adhere to the principles of the word, we'll actually be pushing the world away. No, 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 no. If I adhere to the principles of the word, it'll actually be drawn to what we have. That's the template I have in the word of God. Ignoring the power of the Holy Spirit did nothing for the world. They got nowhere, and neither did the church. Did y'all see that? Did y'all, I mean, it was on display for all of us. We were all sitting back watching. Can't do that in church. Can't say that. Can't allow that to happen. Can't go there. Oh, they won't like that song. If you go a a, a hair past 12 o'clock, they're not going to stay. These are the, this is the silly, goofy things we introduced into the church over the last 20 years, thinking we were winning the world. And no, we were not. No, we were not. But if you look at the template of the book of Acts, it was the crazy stuff, the confusing stuff, the chaotic stuff that they said, what must I do to be? I want to live my life in such a way that I get approached. How do I get what you got? It doesn't have to be super spiritual. It's not some kooky way of just walking around, praying in tongues, lifting my hands everywhere. No, it's just being the image of the Son of God. It's just living like he called me to. It's walking in power and authority. It's living my life with my shoulders back and my chest out and my chin up saying, I belong to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And you can have it too. It shows people what's possible. I believe the church is rising that's going to show the world what's possible. It is possible to live virus-free. It is possible to live free from fear. 
It is possible to break addictions that have held not only your life, but generations beyond you. It is possible to step into government and have a voice. It is possible to play a sport and be the believer that stands up when everybody else is drinking and partying and doing the crazy junk. You're standing up and saying, no, that's not me, man. That's not my life. I'm righteous. I've been bought with the price. My life is not my own. I've been bought and paid for. It is possible. Let's show the world what's possible in these last days. It's possible. It's possible. Worship team, if you come, look at this in Romans chapter 13. Repentance is not bad. Repentance is not wrong. It's denouncing, renouncing a way that you once were so that you can live to the possibilities of this new kingdom. And revival does both. There's not going to be a revival that focuses on judgment and wrath and, and overcoming sin. And, 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 and then there's going to be another revival down the street that's doing healings and signs and wonders and just professing. The, it's going to be one revival. All of it. All of it. People are going to get born again. People are going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. People are going to get healed. People are going to get delivered. People are going to get set free. All. Just say that word. Say all. All. Don't, don't you want all that God has? I'm done with just getting a part. The Pentecostal part and the Baptist part and the this season part and that season. I want to get all that he's doing in these last days. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. To live like this is all the more urgent, for time is running out. And you know it is a strategic hour in human history. It's as if he wrote this today. It is time for us to wake up. Everyone say, wake up. Now, you can't say that quiet. You got to say, wake you, wake up. Come on, say it like you're waking your kid up for school in the morning. Wake up. <laughs> for our full salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Y'all believe that? It's nearer now. We're closer now. Night's darkness is dissolving away as a new day of destiny dawns. So we, what, so we must once and for all strip away what is done in the shadows of darkness. Removing it like filthy clothes and once and for all we clothe ourselves with the radiance of light as our weapon. We must live honorably surrounded by the light of this new day, not in the darkness of drunkenness and debauchery, not in promiscuity and sensuality, not being argumentative or jealous of others. Instead, fully immerse yourselves into the Lord Jesus. Everyone say instead. Say it one more time. Say instead. So I'm laying a hold of this and instead I'm taking hold of that. Instead, fully immerse yourselves into the Lord Jesus, the anointed one. And don't waste even a moment's thought on your former identity to awaken its selfish desires. In my Bible, I had this note over where we just read in Matthew chapter 11, the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I'm just going to read this to you to so just try to process it, register it. Maybe you need to close your eyes as I'm reading this. The kingdom of heaven, which Jesus set up as a powerful movement or reign among men, requires of them an equally strong and radical reaction. The violent then who take it by force are people of keen enthusiasm and commitment who are willing to respond to and propagate with radical abandonment 
the message and dynamic of God's reign. Jesus' references to the non-religious style of John and the confrontational, miraculous ministry of Elijah teach that the kingdom of God makes its penetration by a kind of violent entry opposing the human status quo. It transcends softness. That's the kingdom you and I belong to. That's the kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's the kingdom that comes both as a warning of judgment and wrath, but a welcoming of blessing and goodness. Awakening ourselves to what we need to lay down so that we can be revived to what we need to take up. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.